Are, are you having a bit of wine or beer? I'm having a glass of wine. I'm on the rum. <laughs> and, and you, sir? I'm on the rum. I very rarely drink, but I just uh, felt like having one tonight. A bit of rum. Having a bit of rum. A bit of rum. Bit of rum, old boy. Hello and Merry Christmas. Welcome to a very special episode of the Movie Chef podcast. Ho, um, ho, ho! We, that is my uh, my co-host, as always, Calm. Uh, it's full. Santa Claus! This is obviously Christmas Day, so we are full on Indian curry and Bacardi rum. And yep. probably going to crack the Jack Daniels open later as well. Santa's fucked all the toys onto the sofa for the kids. I, I, I never found out. Did you actually wrap them this year then, or did you actually leave them back? No, I've told you. It's a, tra- it's a tradition. We <laughs> don't wrap them. Santa goes past and he fucks them in. Santa doesn't have time to wrap presents. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bring presents to your kids and I'm going to wrap them like 20 times so they've got something to unwrap and we are like, oh my God, what is this? And it's just... Paul, they won't know how to open them. The work, <laughs> don't do that. The work. Don't do that to them. Um, so I hope you're all having a, a wonderful Christmas. Um, staying safe, staying two metres away from everybody. But of course, enjoy yourself. <laughs> Um, we're going to be on a bit of a break um, now until maybe next week, week after, I'm not too sure yet, but as we told you last episode, we've got a very uh, special Christmas present to give to our listeners. A long-awaited Christmas present. <laughs> Fucking long-awaited. <laughs> um, yeah, this one's been a long time coming, and I cannot believe I've kept it quiet for so long. Um, but yeah, this, I mean... Well, this is what it is, really, isn't it? Should we, should we just play it and go from there? Yeah. Here's our interview with the one and only Xander Berkeley. Xander fucking Berkeley. Did you just call him Sandra? Sa- no, I said Xander. Xander's going to kick your head in now. I hope he does. I would accept it. So... Sander Berkeley, thank you very much for joining us. It's 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 been a while since we first um, spoke, um, and I think I've harassed you endlessly <laughs> for the last four months, and I can only apologise. But it was so exciting the opportunity to have you on our on our little podcast. So welcome, thank you for coming. Cheers, lovely Cheers. to be here to speak with you again. So all I want to do is want... go on. Oh yeah. So, looking back over your career, I mean, there's a, there's a few films that have sort of stood out for us, but when I first went and jumped on YouTube to have a look at sort of your, your highlights, the first thing that comes up is a, is a death reel. And the first thing I always want to ask people is the amount of times you've died in films and TV show. Is it something you go straight to the back of the script and start looking for now? Is that something that you actively look for, or do you just take the role and see what happens? Well, no, it's sort of just a given at this point. They won't offer me a role unless they know <laughs> a good and novel way of dying. I've made my living dying, you know. And so I'm a bit of a connoisseur and I try to add new forms of, of, of uh, death to, to my reel. Uh, the, this last one, I just finished the film uh, in which I got beaten to death and I was already the one-handed guy. <laughs> 
but that's oh. do you know what though there's very there's very few actors that can play the bastard so well like there's 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 so few people that you can look at and you can go this this guy just is oozes the bastard from him and i think I'm, that, that i'm quite I, sure i don't know what <laughs> i'm trying to i'm trying to i'm not i'm definitely not trying to insult you um but you know I think that, <laughs> but i come, think come back. Be, do you remember what I said about not insulting the guest within the first no, five minutes? No, Do you remember no. that? No, but I, this is the reason why I'm putting this in because somebody who plays that part so well, there is some kind of like a drug to the viewer that they get when they see the death. So I think that's the dichotomy of that, of, you know, being that good at being bad and then the celebration of the death at the end. That's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes a better day. I have played those characters that you want to see killed and uh, or, or see die. Or And in this last one, I have to say, it's more of a tearjerker. And and uh, it, it, the character is more comedic and sympathetic in the context of a very rough Western. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was used differently. And I'm, I'm looking for things that are in contrast always to what I've done before in any way I can. But... Um, I, I developed, I realized early on that I had uh, manifested a willingness to sacrifice my vanity authentically uh, in a way that a lot of actors are maybe very wisely reticent to do because uh, once you do uh, convincingly sacrifice your vanity and come across as truly unctuous and vile, um, and I'll tell you why I made that a vow to myself because I was a little baby hippie. And I thought, if I'm gonna hold guns, if I'm gonna do evil things on camera, I am not gonna let them be appealing, sexy, cool. I, I'm gonna make them vile, make them repulsive, make them off-putting so that it won't be on my Akashic file. It won't be in my conscience <laughs> that I've ever in any way incentivized anyone to do something harmful to another person. But that's, but that's, yeah, that's so interesting because there's a scene that, I, like, I was rewatching Walking Dead with my missus a lot a couple of weeks ago, and there's a scene between Gregory and Maggie. It's the one through the gate where you know you're trying to convince Maggie that what you did was was for the good, the greater good, and you know why why aren't you looking at me like I'm a hero? You know, and that for me that was it's so hardcore, like it's so brilliant, and it's just like that that for me that for me sums up some of your best work simply because you are so good at being bad like so good at being bad it's such a connection that you have with it because as you just say there you you have me you hooked me from the start like you have me from the start well and they offered me that part you know on a a show that people were were that was a coveted very popular show when I came on to it uh and and they offered me the part and and I the, the showrunner was describing the character because they didn't reveal any of their scripts. They were very top secret because everybody was always trying to spoil the surprises on that show. So if they got a hold of anything, they would let it out. And they were always very cautious about that. And, um, so they were just giving me a sense of the character. And as he gave this list of qualities, I went, and why would I want to do this? <laughs> Because, as I say, early on in my career, I did play uh, very unappealing characters, very, uh, you know, either disturbing, psycho, or 
vile in some way, despicable people. And uh, because I, I kind of wanted to get as used to being in front of a camera as I had gotten accustomed to being on stage. And I, I wanted to learn how to hone my craft in accordance with cinema uh, and the, con the confines, the constraints of, of film acting, because it's very different ultimately than, you know, you have to show and convey to an audience. You need to uh, demonstrate on stage and have it conveyed to a, a large audience to the back. And so you have to be loud enough, you have to be seen and heard. So you have to doing and showing matters. And uh, even if it's very nuanced and subtle, it's still you're, you're communicating out to, a, to create a picture from a distance. And sometimes it's the opposite. Film is just going so inside and it, it's, it's up close and it's personal. And, and, and I, I realized right away, it was just a different craft for me, having a camera up in your face instead of imagination and, and uh, <laughs> this, the fourth wall of the audience out there. And also to have the real things around you as opposed to a set. There's pluses and minuses as far as what gets you there as an actor. But um, I, I, when I came, I was very young. Uh, to, I was brought from a play in New York out to Los Angeles. I was just turned 23 and, and I, I was brought by an agent and they set me up with a bunch of you know, very for big roles in big movies. And they would look at me because I played the sweet young thing on stage. Um, I looked like tomorrow's lettuce at the time. <laughs> and, but if you look close, you'd see something in the eyes that was like a little bit not dark, but maybe knew something that they didn't, maybe, or weren't sure what I knew. And I had a receding hairline and, 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 so I wasn't the, the cardboard cutout of the young leading male like I was on stage. I had a bit more of a classical sort of look. Um, but up close, it was like, hmm, there's something a little off. And I'd see them looking at me and, and I was very close to getting a lot of big roles. And I thought, I don't even know if I want those big roles. I don't even know if I want to be famous. I, I, I just want to act and I, I love the idea of and from the British tradition, which was already what I was sort of going along with in the theater from about the age of 15 to 25, was um, transformation. I loved nothing more than when I was in a rap company to be able to have the subscription audience say, oh wait, that wasn't you in that. What, which part did you play in the previous play? And I'd say, and they'd, no, 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 come on. Wait, which part did you play? And that was like, yes, I had convinced them I was a completely different human being. And, and I wanted to see how much I could do that as a film actor. And I was willing to sacrifice the, the star power and the offers that you would get. I already, you kind of knew you, it, to get the great roles, you had to be really famous. You had to be able to put, give the producers the assurance that you could put butts in seats. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've always felt like this, I was really intrigued by the fragility of an actor's efficacy, that it could be, if you saw him on a TV show every week, you kind of knew who he was. And the mystery was away. If you, if you saw him playing himself as leading man and using his own persona, his own voice, his own behavior, 
over and over, then you knew you're 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 watching that person. And yeah. And I think, I think there's every reason why everybody goes to see the Ryan Reynolds film as opposed to whatever, because it's cookie cutter, isn't it? It's, people go to see him for what he is, but absolutely, it's the transformation piece that I think yeah. makes an actor. Absolutely. Well, and it's it's it, you know, and, and so I I'm combining several threads here, but the idea that um, I wanted to get used to working in front of cameras, and I knew that they had TV shows that had a different bad guy on every episode. And that you, without having to commit to the series regular role in something, I could still work consistently in front of cameras um, because I had a lot of stagecraft and I could do all the different accents, I could do all the different behaviors, and I could play all the. And I was willing to sacrifice my vanity to be unlikable, uh, yeah, and in various different ways. And so the, I had steady work. I mean, I just bang. well, yeah. That's 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 one of the things that I was going to say because. You know, looking looking at your career, you know, you can you can see that number one that you've been in in a steady actor for for God 30, 40 years now. 40, and yeah. yeah, and maybe and maybe that's the reason why that you've you 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 took away your vanity and you went, you know what, I, I'm gonna say yes, I'm gonna be I'm gonna go yes, I'm gonna go yes. Do you want me to play that? Yes. But if you're looking at your your early, even your early career, like do you look back at it now and go, fuck me, I was in so many big things you know you're looking at you're looking at your imdb and you go you know every early tv show great tv shows you're in them you know and and i'll go fuck i've been in so many things but nobody knows who the fuck i am (laughs) no that's a fucking lie and you know you do it you do it but you you look at you look at everything everything (laughs) <laughs> you look at everything I can you fly read, under the radar, man. <laughs> you can't. One of my grades, I feel like the cat that ate the canary in many ways because I feel like I've gotten the benefit of doing all these fun things, engaging with pop culture so in in such a flamboyant way in, for so many years, and still I have a remarkable degree of privacy when I walk down the street. I think white hair. <laughs> Also, just sort of it's like the, the cloak of invisibility. Oh, they're but old. But that's so good because, <laughs> because you know what? You have this chameleon esque acting quality, but also you've transitioned that to your your personal life as well. That you have this chameleon esque, you know, personal life where you can you can walk down. I think that comes hand in hand. You know, I oh mean, God, yeah. one one of the, one of the things that I am going to ask you about your early early one is, and my brother would kill me if I didn't ask you this. Uh, obviously you were in LA Takedown and you were obviously in subsequently you were in Heat as well Um, you know which one did you have more fun doing because you know obviously you're sitting looking at it going I'm working with Michael Mann whatever whatever and you know who is just you know unbelievable you you work with him in Miami Vice Um, you know which one which one would you have liked to have been the first one and the only one Takedown or Heat what's your brother's name Ronan. Ronan, for you. Um, <laughs> obviously, you know, as a kid uh, growing up in New York in the 70s, uh, Al Pacino was like an icon and to get to work with him was, was a big thrill and heat. But there wasn't much meat on the bone there for that role of Ralph. And that bone was thrown to me by Michael because I had done uh, LA Takedown and I wasn't available to play the same role again. Yeah. Um, I was the only guy that was in both of them. I played the Wayne Grow character, as you may yep. know, yep. Uh, in L.A. Takedown. And um, 
I had just been, this sort of fits into the other conversation and because there's still threads I'm gonna try and weave together. Um, that I, I had been, a friend was writing a book on Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, a serial killer in Los mm -hmm. Angeles. And I went down with her to the criminal courts building and did drawings for her book. And uh, based on like his weird fan club and- Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, uh, he did some behavioral things um, that were so disconcerting, so disturbing, so vulgar and repellent to me when I was drawing him, it sort of put it into my body. It's like, I, I draw everywhere I go and I did that for years. And one of the advantages of remaining somewhat under the radar incognito in life is that you can be the one studying others instead of others studying you. And, and, uh, and yet every now and again, if you're drawing people, they will become aware that you're drawing them and suddenly be aware of an energy of attention on them. And if they catch me, I give the drawing away, generally speaking. I didn't give it away to Richard Ramirez. I didn't go out <laughs> to the very back of the criminal court building. And he was turned away, he had these very sharp corner 80s kind of blazer on. You were actually, you were actually in the courthouse? Yeah. And I was doing- Fuck me, okay. And he was handcuffed behind and he was in this weird suit that he'd been brought out in. It wasn't the orange jumpsuit, it was like suit. And they were, you know, going on forever and ever about the rubber nubby gloves that he wore and the, and the, the dental The ACDC baseball cap? <laughs> no, he just had this weird thick hair and chiseled to the point of vulgarity. He was so handsomely chiseled, it was gross. Mm. Uh, like creepy. And, uh, and he just had this sort of rocking thing that he was doing. And he did this one thing where he just suddenly, I was way at the back of the court. He was just. And it was like a fucking snake had uh. fucking bitten me and I'd gotten it. And I, I, I certainly got his body language put into me in that moment, but I just moved. I did the drawings and and I'm out. And, uh, and I had already played some some psychos before, and and I had approached it from early on in my early twenties, uh, mid twenties, to play it, um, you know, going for the psychological element or the mental or the emotional energy to infuse what I was doing, and it was hard to walk away from a lot of those parts. Like even if they were on some dumb TV show, I would take it on, and I would. I would practice it as if I were doing it for a really important film. Every job was a way to learn and, and knowing that I could watch afterwards on TV when it aired and study uh, what I had done and what worked and what didn't work for me and be a critic of myself and keep trying to perfect and see how broad a range I had I could do um, X amount without it seeming without showing my work as it were, you know, without mm -hmm. stagecraft showing you're honing it in, but you're still wanting to transform as convincingly as possible from one role to the next. And uh, that idea of the fragility of the efficacy of an actor being that, you know, you don't want to do the same thing too many times. They're just not going to believe it. Just going to see, oh, that's him doing that thing again. It only yeah. worked. The first. It's like knowing how a magician does a trick. But if you can really change, 
then they're going to remain able to go into the story and believe you're that person. So that how seem like sorry? How was it then? Trans? How was it going onto a film like Air Force One then? Where well, let me it, just let me finish Ronan's sorry. question, and I'm, I'm going on too long. Sorry, Ronan. Yeah, um, that that playing uh, Wayne Grow, I, I decided to use the Ramirez thing because I wasn't going to do it intellectually. I wasn't going to do it emotionally. I was just going to do it physically. And I thought that I could escape having it infect me if I just did his phys physicality. And just that alone I, it gave me proof that I had to stop playing Psychos because it, you know, Michael Mann fucking loved it. He walked around with me and paraded me around at the time going, Andrew Berkeley, my new cultural hero, my new cultural hero, Andrew Berkeley. And he had me around the neck and I yeah, okay, well, that's cool. I'm playing a psycho, Michael. I get it. You like but that. But did, okay. did, oh. did you take that as a, as a kind of way to get Ramirez's fucking snake bite out of your head? Did you take that as like a, a, a kind of catharsis that you were getting go of it? Because it, did no, it you I so didn't. Much, or? I didn't. I thought, oh, okay, I just got it. I got the blink on his physicality, his reptilian inner workings. Oh, yeah. and I will manifest the outward uh, act of it because I knew how disconcerting that those physical behaviors were. And they would work perfectly with aspects of what I wanted to do with Wangro when I broke it down and I just saw it. And in the costume, and I, I, I developed a lot of the costume with the costumers, th stuff that I showed Michael that he liked from my own wardrobe. And so I really kind of came up with this guy and he was just intrigued and thrilled by the whole thing and was very complimentary. And, and I did it, but at, at, at one point toward in the climax, they always save your death scene for your last scene. It's just a little funny thing. <laughs> psychologically destroyed if they do it at the start no it's actually for insurance purposes and you find out <laughs> yeah. years later oh what a coincidence how how perfect it is that i'm doing my last scene on the that my last day is the day i die <laughs> this is a really fucking dangerous scene i'm about to do walking up with the shirt the polyester shirt open and right in the scene where, you know, in Heat, where De Niro, as you may remember from L those yeah. few, did see L.A. Dicta, when he comes up the door and he's like being, you know, he's high and he's, I'm a hot dog or whatever he's saying, <laughs> that they, they blow a hole through the, through the door and shoot him yeah. out there. And, uh, and you don't know what that explosion is going to be. They can't do a test run. It'll mess up the whole set. And nobody else is stupid enough to go in that close to a, a door about to explode unless you're <laughs> in character and doing, but I wasn't, you know, I thought I was just, I'm just doing the physicality of him and I'm feeling this. And, and then I know I've got to go back. And after I go up, I got to get blown back. And you don't even really take in that the whole camera department and everybody else is behind plexiglass shields with over ear protection and you're just like <laughs> you're, you're standing there to I, did, I think i did say what's what's in that little x mark on the door that that where the hole i have to align with what, what's going to come out of there uh it's a bunch of things soap a lot of soap powder and <laughs> powder and well other things you know what I mean? just go on and you're 20 feet ahead of everybody that's protected and you're just like and um, the combination of the explosion and the physicality had been building to this point where I was starting to get hives anyway. 
just because the character kind of got under my skin. I did get the snake bite. Yeah. And uh, and then right after that scene, they had to rush me to, which fortunately the emergency room of the hospital was very close, but my throat closed up because I had swelling on the inside as well. And partly from the thing, and it blew my ears out and a bunch of other things. Really not a glamorous job on a, on a, on a <laughs> At the end of the day, I but, but did, 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 Pacino, did Pacino have to go to the fucking emergency room? <laughs> no, no, you know, and nor did the guy that played uh, Wayne Grow the next time around, um, because he was just more of a physical type that you, you bought, so he didn't have to do as much acting to convince them. And well, you'd already done the fucking miles, you'd already done the miles, yeah. so he's, well, he's there to like, take yours, yeah. I mean, um. You know, we're going to segue into Air Force One in a second here, but just to complete the other loop, it's um, there was a point when having played so many unlikable characters made it so I had ruled out the opportunity to play likable characters because every casting director, most of the directors that knew my work, and even friends, directors who were friends, would say, Oh, you'd be great. You know, I'd say, Well, what about that part? Well, we we have to like him. <laughs> for twenty five years, you don't like me. No, of course yeah. I like you, but you know. But all the characters you play, I think they're just going to automatically. And you know, I don't. Well, I think if you're supposed to like him or sympathize with him, you will, because I will play it entirely differently, and I'll bring an entirely different energy to it. And I don't think anybody really has figured out who I am, so it's not like if I. <laughs> turn into that character that they'll just think the things they're supposed to think about that character but there was a lot of um you know you can only make one first impression and my first impression was of unlikable characters and however noble my my thinking was and however grand my scheme was about becoming accomplished with with you know how to work with a camera um the the reality is I didn't get to play as many nice guys along the way as I as I might have liked, and I'm trying to pepper them in now um, before it's too goddamn late because I won't. I, got, <laughs> I don't want them to look back and just think Dad was nothing but a shithole. No, that that's that's like, the oh best thing. God. That's 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 the best thing. That's the best thing because they're the most memorable characters within the fucking TV shows or within the movies. You know, like genuine genuinely, you always remember the great bastard. They always remember the great boss. Oh, Never yeah. and, fuck, and, and, fuck the good guy. And I've enjoyed the hell out of playing him. Exactly. Oh, Michael Mann would not have been like my next cultural hero, even though, you know, it didn't always pan out that they, they, they're going to use you again. Um, I did do Heat, and I was the only one that was in LA Takedown that was also in Heat, and it was super fun to do that. And he always said, I remember, he goes, This part's way too small for you, man. Thank you so much for doing yeah. it. Really appreciate you coming in and, and doing this. And Al was like, Oh man, I can't tell you how grateful I am you doing that. And you know, it's like, Al knows who you are and is excited that you're doing this part. And that's a do you thrill. Think, do you think it was Michael Manoey but going, Listen, he invented this character, so technically he could sue the fuck out of us. Um, so <laughs> we got we gotta we gotta make sure that this guy's fucking happy on set. Yeah, well, no, because you know, I remember uh, Diane. Venora, who played his the girl, I, his ex-wife that I was banging uh -huh. in that dead tech, whatever it is, house. Other people remember. <laughs> I don't. Um, but uh, 
yeah, she, she, uh, the whole, one of the funny, the funniest line I had in that thing is that he had to, who are you? And I'm like, Ralph. And he was, Ralph, your name is Ralph. You know, and that would have been a funny moment, you know, like, and, and instead she, she insisted on introducing us. Donna said, this is Ralph. And like, Really gonna do that? I got you got all these scenes in the movie. I got this one fucking scene I'm doing you to take my laugh away. <laughs> and I said to Michael, she's taking my Ralph. She's taking my Ralph away from me. That's my favorite thing to do. That's why I did this part. Fucking Ralph. <laughs> and uh, he goes, oh, no, look, you won't believe the shit I've had to put up with. Her. Just, just do this. You. I am gonna give you. I'm gonna make it worth your while. He never did. Uh, he never did, but that's okay. He took away, he, he did take away most of my hearing. So I love Michael dearly, but he also made me shoot a, 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 an automatic weapon in a tunnel and I didn't have any ear protection. And this is before I had gotten my throat swollen up, but I'm supposed to shoot after the Brinks truck or something like that in the tunnel with that mask on yeah. and uh, mask. And I'm just like, and we'd all been to the range. We learned how to use these weapons and everything else. We had over ear protection, and we're about to suddenly they're going to move to this scene, and and I, I we're going to shoot this. I don't have I don't have any earplugs or any kind of ear protection. Sandra, we're losing the light. <laughs> and I, you know, you want to please, the, of course, the big star director, and you're still young enough to where you hire me again. We'll yeah. And let me be your next cultural hero, sort of. <laughs> and the next thing you know, you're like with the assault weapon, and I've had tinnitus since then, and I've become an advocate because of all the times I've been hoodwinked into doing things that were explosive up close, and and I've become a little bit of an advocate for no more gunfire on sets. Yeah. what happened. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah. So whenever I do these little podcast interview things, I have to be, uh, I'm, I'm balls out about, um, you know, people that that insisted that on the just it, that it's careless and reckless to to be in such a hurry ever that you forget the safety is first and is more important because after this show, however cool it is comes and goes and you're on to the next job you still you now you carry with you a ringing in your ears and you have a slight diminution in your hearing and you've only got five senses to begin with yeah. so i uh tell these stories because no matter who it is um act, young actors should be uh strong and say no i can't do that i've got to get better ear protection can't you put that flash in and post yeah they've got a whole library that have the exact flashes of every year, make and model of every weapon ever made. And they're more authentic, more accurate. They're just not as fun. Or but does, it, doesn't, as it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense where you can make a fucking mm-hmm. dinosaur walk. A dinosaur can walk. Why can't you make a gunfire? It doesn't yeah. make any sense. No sense at all. And, and, and it, uh, on, on beyond the level of the rare, horrendous tragedies that take place, um, there are the consistent um, injuries uh, to the inner ear because it's just, it's always loud and it's always right next to your head. And if you keep working like I did, you shouldn't have to be punished by losing 
your hearing or, or um, having a constant ringing in your ears because of it. People need to get like, okay, they, they figured out that it was cheaper to do squibs in post because <clears> you'd have to change your shirt each time and that would take time to rewire. Squibs, you know, they were the blood packs that were yeah. filled with, they were condoms filled with gunpowder and blood. <laughs> With, with wires that ran down your face, uh, down so, your face. Movie so glamorous, so glamorous. Was it, was it the assumption that, you know, the age old thing of you need to pay for your art, you know, you need to put yourself through that to, to do the best possible. Is there, was it always kind of pushed on that you just need to forego safety because it'll look great? Or was there always this element of- The combination of, of, you know, the actor's ego that wants to, um, be as convincing as possible, have as much impact, and certainly during a death scene or any violent scene, we're willing to throw ourselves in. It's, I was a jock when I was growing up, really young, so becoming an actor and an artist took the place of something that was very, a lot of us are adrenaline junkies, you know, we, we you were describing skiing at 15 on Rakia, um, so yeah, I mean, there's a there's an element of a willingness to embrace danger um, that I think a lot of people that choose an alternative path to a, a safe and secure job in an office um, have that in their nature. But in general, yeah, you you kind of want it to be as convincing and real as possible, and you also there's always the stunt guy and the special effects guy and back when I was a kid first coming up a lot of those guys were macho men that uh thought actors were pussies you know they'd gone to drama school or whatever uh, they weren't real men and they would put you to the you know and they want they want you to look yeah. convincing and so because you know they've they've been you know in really dangerous situations in life and they they kind of want you because a little jealous of you because you're the one that's getting out there and and stuff and so i mean this is really a long time ago i'm not talking about anybody that's on any cruise now yeah. because i do think we're all that that culture has really changed but when i was coming up in it and i think to this day and i and i'll find it as much with a with a, a woman director as i will a man um it's not particular to you know what anybody's background is there is a culture of you're tough right you you can take it. Are you going to be a baby about this? Oh, yeah. We have to get that. Okay. Well, that's going to take time. So, what you want? Okay. But that's. Do you, you know what? To, that that culture. That, right? Yeah, that culture is not just in acting. No, that culture is across the board. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're 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 talking about a retail environment. You're talking an office environment. You're talking this. You're, you're talking every single scenario of you know people who have maybe a little bit more power than other people that are below them you know the plebs you know in finger yeah. quotes um you know but i get it it's 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 one of those things where I, I don't understand i i genuinely didn't think that they actually fired you know live rounds or or plastic bullets or or, or you know blanks when i got there it didn't enter my head that it wasn't done in post you know you look at movies you look at movies like john wick where there's there's fucking bullets firing every single second and you know when you, yeah. you you contemplate the actual safety aspect of a movie like that it's like holy fuck these people are actually firing guns at each other like what the, what the fuck is going on yeah. here like 
you know, I, and that's the whole concept. If I have my head, if, if you can make a dinosaur fucking walk on earth, you know, Jesus Christ, we can, we can, we can at least do this in post. <laughs> well, one of my, my most memorable deaths was in Terminator 2, and that's 30 years ago. Those things happen convincingly uh, on screen. And part of it, like my death was half uh, practical and half computer generated imagery. I did have to sword swallow for two weeks before doing the scene so I could get the blade far enough down my throat to sell that it was coming out of the back of my head. What? A retractable blade that came out of the back of my head. And it was through puppetry and, and pulleys that the retractable blade would go this uh, way yeah. at the same time as they're pulling it out of my mouth the computer generated imagery is in all the sequences that you know they use the puppet arm with a blade and they put it in so um, you know Jeanette Goldstein had her who played Janelle my wife in Terminator 2 yeah. had her sleeve and her arm was back here and the 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 puppet Tears were holding Stan Winston arm and turning into a blade in three different positions. They had, you know, one where the blade is straight out, and then one where she's doing this to fold it back up, and then one where it's down. And and the blade is getting shorter in that sequence in each part. It's longest when it's going through me. Yeah. It's then they do the retraction thing with the tractable, and they cut back to her here. And then they cut back to her hair, and then they have to computer generate the images in between, like dot to dots. Mm -hmm. And they would, while the blade was down my mouth, they thought they could run a tube of milk and a tube of blood down the backside, so that then yeah. separated at the very back and have milk come out of one side and blood come out of the other. But it was so gross, they scrapped it after one take, and I would have fucking thrown up if they had done another take. <laughs> um, and I, I gag on a toothbrush. I'm not, I'm not, I'm no, yeah, that way. Go get your hopes up, fellas. Um, <laughs> Lateral flow tests yeah. are not your thing, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, and so that was a very challenging thing. And, and again, I, I like to share these things with people think it's all that all that was all computer generated. Uh, no, Stan Winston had forgotten to take rest his brilliant soul. Um, but he had made a mistake and forgotten to take the kitchen uh, counters into account and had just had assumed that it would be like I was standing up against the cupboard that, that this thing was pinned into, went through my head and went into. And um, in fact, I had to do that way. I had to do a back bend over the counter and Jim thought that nobody could physically do that. So he was like, Great, Stan. Thanks a million. You just wasted $250,000 like that. And, like, and, I, and I felt so bad. Stan went white. And I did, he felt so bad that he hadn't calculated the counter in. And I said, Let, let's try. I think I, maybe I can do it. Let, let's see if we can do it. And so I was doing a back bend while I was taking that blade down my and And for an hour, two hours, they had to match the blades. Uh, glint and they also had to take photographs of the whole room and so that they could put that in the reflection without the camera crew there that oh. kind of thing that kind of obsessive detail went into but there, that but there but therein lies the problem as well because there is that 
the pressure when you're working with a guy like Jim Cameron and you are sitting there going, well, I don't want somebody else to get in trouble for this. Uh, you know, I want to try, I want to try and do my best for yeah, these yeah, people, yeah. these, these people that I love and these people, I know that this thing is going to be very fucking uncomfortable for me. But then you look at the finished product as well and you go, that's probably one of the three iconic scenes from Terminator yeah. 2. Yeah. And, you know, there's, worth it. Yeah, there's so much it's like there those well. movies where you go, yeah, you know what? This one's not going to be seen by anybody. I am no, in no way to perform ever going to be willing to do that. So get another idea in your head. Well, listen, well, listen um, put it like this. Put it like this. The first, the first time I ever became aware of yourself was in V. Do you remember V? Obviously, you remember V. I remember. I'm telling yeah. my, horror, my horror stories. This yeah, is, this, you know. This, don't tell me. Oh, don't tell me there's a horror story from V. <laughs> well, just get a picture of this. Again. You, I'm committing suicide by walking out into a sand pit and ultimately feeding myself to a land shark. Yeah. Now, I, I, I yeah, already at this point, I've been killed a few different ways. I went, that's novel. That's different. Um, suicide by land shark. And so I go out into the sand pit. This is the mark. I'm in the rehearsal. Okay, I got to hit this mark exactly because this is where... Um, a, a conveyor, uh, hydraulics are going to lower me down into a, a below ground chamber. And so that all the sand in the sand pit doesn't just dump in the minute this elevator hydraulic goes down, they have a giant baggie with an elastic band around it that's tight, holding the sand in place. And that as my weight, if I hit that X, when I wander out, I don't care what happens now, I'm gonna feed myself the lynch. I, I, I'm peripheral vision allows me to know that I'm standing on my mark enough so that when this thing comes down that my feet will go through that expanding elastic and that the baggie of not sand because sand would be too heavy so mm -hmm. it's vermiculite which is a packing powder okay. <laughs> it's particulate okay and it's going down and right but again I'm thinking I'm the doctor who's going to go commit suicide in a minute. So I'm like, my dog is dead. My dog is dead. Whatever it is I'm doing to get ready for this. And I'm not thinking about the physical danger because of course I'm macho and tough. I can handle it, whatever it is. Um, you know, I'm a daredevil. These, these things, and I'm not a, I'm not a wimp. I'm, I'm willing to do. And, but of course, how could they have tested this before? They, yeah. they couldn't demonstrate to me. And so when I end up like, and the idea the director said, well, you, you know, you probably, you know, you don't care. I said, so I'm more or less, but I said, but once that thing starts biting me, I'm going to be screaming, right? And then, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Mice, yeah. So as I go down, I'm like, the last minute, I look like a clown doing it. And I wish, <laughs> I, I thought, again, it never should have gone for that. I should have just gone mm, and flinched a couple of times, going down, opening my mouth. As I went down, filled with vermiculite. My oh, eyes, no. I'm dropped into an underground chamber, and there are two extra special effects guys, full on gas masks, those <laughs> things. And again, it's like looking back at everybody behind you with over ear and plexiglass, yeah. and you're going, <laughs> give, so you a, give, me, give me a thumbs up, going. <laughs> <laughs> and they just hand you up a bottle of water. So, you know, the fact I feel like, you know, I, I've died maybe somewhere between 30, 40, 50 times on film and 
I, I feel like I've almost died at least a dozen times in the, in the different things that I've had to do. And I, I feel ever so grateful that I haven't because I'm really enjoying my life and, and being a, a, a father later in my life, which I always wanted to be. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm going to direct God, damn it. That's the reason Dude, I was doing all these things, just to learn how to study, how to direct films well. And then I just kept getting offered acting jobs. And now it's, I better hurry up. But that's, but you, you've got so many, you've got so many fucking irons in the fire as well. I mean, you're artist, fucking makeup artist, actor, you know, which, which one now is becoming the passion? You know, which, which one now drives you? Do you still, do you still look no. at it and go, yeah, hundred yeah. percent, I want to do that acting bit, but which one drives you? Well, I paint every day. I draw or paint or sculpt every day. And so that's a kind of like, I need that. Just like, it's like some people have to work out every day. I need, that's my working out. And I do get good upper body uh, sort of cardio from like a motherfucker. Boom, 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 boom. Um, and uh, and sanding and stuff like that. But um, you know, that's a passion that happens every day. Uh, and I I still love acting. I still want to continue to. But the thing is that that uh, directing. It combines a being a visual artist with being a communicator and a storyteller, and how to, it is ultimately how to tell stories in, in by framing visual images and, and and the words together. And I've I've done a lot of writing and I've done a lot of rewriting and a lot of you know just like I've done a whole lot of my makeup over the years without taking a credit. I've done a whole lot of dialogue um, altering and adapting and improvising without taking credit for it. And I, not that I want to get the credit for it, but I just, I feel like I, it, directing will allow me to take all those different things that I've done and put them into one thing. And it will allow me to create the circumstances for actors that I've always, that I, the things that work best for me from all the directors I work with and the things that I never got to do that I think Peter Weir would do it, but I never got to work with him, regrettably. I, I love him. Um, but he, he uses music in a way and creates an atmosphere for his actors and his crew by having live music and then maybe bringing it out just the end. But there's a lot of stuff I want to do with music um, for actors to create an atmosphere so the crew and, and the actors that we're all doing the dance together and, and the music is sometimes played underneath or sometimes brought up when there's you know, scenes without dialogue or moments without dialogue. And trying to find that, um, and I want to do more period storytelling. And living in Maine is like, is just so perfect. We, we're developing these properties out there. You, you know about the inn. Well, the inn is in connection yeah. with another property that will allow me to put a film crew up and uh, a lot of locations. And uh, I want to do some stuff with painted backdrops. Bring my painter friends out to do some old school yeah. uh, painted backdrops. Xander Berkeley, Berkeley's factory. That's what you want. You want Xander yeah. Berkeley's factory. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That sounds fucking you cool. Know, that sounds little, fucking cool. Do you have that Mini one? Sunday East meets Andy Warhol's factory. Yeah. <laughs> do you have, do you have that one dream project that you've always got, like in the back of your mind, that 
that book or novella or something that you thought that's that's going to be the first thing I direct. That's going to be what I'll bring it all together. Have you got that one bit of inspiration there? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a pragmatist at the end of the day. And so I, I want to think of what something that, uh, that I can rope all my friends into doing and at the same time raise money for uh, a first time director who's as old as I am and not, you know, you gotta stop that bullshit there must have been an opportunity for you to direct something you know how creative that you are how creative that you are as a person you know there has to have been an opportunity to come up i'm a bit of a perfectionist and i just want to wait until the circumstances were right (laughs) and i i did love acting enough to where it the pressure isn't on me if i'm not the leading dude uh you know i can go off make a little bit of money have a little fun and you know one of your questions i'm going to answer now because you asked about whether being in a big budget uh, Marvel movie versus an indie. You know, obviously one would like to make the, the big budget Marvel money movie, uh, m- m- Marvel movie money while doing the creative arty independent film. But so you always take a hit on the money for the art and invariably, and, and you, you end up maybe taking a, a hit on the depth of what you get to do uh, in, in more broad, pop culture stuff not not always not necessarily I, I, I love Marvel movies I'd be happy to be in one um, but uh, James Mason fellow countryman James Mason had a, a, mm-hmm. a something I read where he said he did three movies a year as a movie star and he would do one for the art one for the commerce and one for the location and I pretty much as a character actor followed that model um, and, and there was always a location that was tempting enough to go to that I'd never been to before that I was curious about, or uh, a, a sum of money that I, I'd never had before and was curious about, or um, an artistic challenge uh, opportunity that I'd never had and was always curious about. So I, would, I, I, would, I kept being curious about all three of those things and how to balance them off of one another. And, and I tried to fit in working with the oldest directors I could with the youngest directors I could sort of uh, sometimes uh, oldest directors on small independent movies uh, or and, and young directors on big movies. So it wasn't always doing the indie with the youngster, yeah. although I will still do the odd, um, you know, short film uh, if, if for a first time director, if I, if I believe they've got real talent and, and a great idea. Um, and it's a character I haven't played before. You know, I, I, I'll, I've always swerved back and forth in the spectrum of, of uh, commerce as well as, I tried to keep the art, even when I'm taking a choice for location and for money, I, I've tried to not step below a certain standard. Um, and I've, I've played smaller roles in things than I maybe should have, but I, I knew that with that came a certain quality of film and a certain, with a good director comes a good cinematographer and a good editor and, and those things. So that you know it's not going to be trash at the end of the day. But again, that that makes it that makes it more of your own career at that point though, doesn't it? Because you're making your own choices. You don't really give a fucking hoot Mm-hmm. At what the particular uh, size of the role is, you know, but you as a person, you as a person, because you see yourself and I can see that you're going to do something directing in the future. And, you know, I can see, 
I don't know why, but I get this fucking Wes Anderson vibe off you. Like I get this, I get this vibe where it's, He's it's got gonna, a great it's, aesthetic. You know, he creates yeah. a picture every yeah, frame. That's, that's, as I'm talking to you, because you're create you, you're, you're as a person, as an actor, you know, yes, you've been in so many roles and yes, you've been a bad guy and you've died. And yes, that's fantastic. That's everything. That's great. But it's the choices that you've made as an actor or, you know, as, as a worker, you know, maybe not just an actor, it's the choices mm-hmm. that you've made and it's the choices that I know and I can see that you're going to be making in later life, you know, as to why you're going to be successful in that role. And that's why I'm saying it's going to be the Wes Anderson because I can see, I can see you making your own sets. I can see you jumping up and fucking, you know, directing and, and telling people and putting people in places and doing things and painting and, you know, it's that mm-hmm. creative vision has been with you the entire, the whole way through your career, which, yeah. which is, which is great because, you know, and I don't want to insult you, you know, but, you know, at a, at a, such a, at a later age in your in life, you know, you still have that passion. You still have that connection yeah. to everything where I don't give a fuck what it is. I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah, the money's got to be right. But, you know, that's not the most important thing in life. You know, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to move from fucking Hollywood to Maine. I'm going to open up my inn. I'm going to fucking I'm going to direct in my terms. I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to I'm going to be on my terms. I think that's refreshing. It's so refreshing. Yeah. Well, you know, my father was an artist and, and he was uh, he was aware that when I was staging, you know, I was, I was always I, I wanted costumes more than toys. My mother could sew. And so <laughs> I was I was like the oddball, but it wasn't to perform. It was to go off into the woods and imagine that I was a different. Person. Yeah. And and then I did do some things with the, my best friend. We were in all sports together. Uh, I, I got him to engage and uh, we, we used to love to enact impossible catches and stuff like that in baseball and do them in slow motion. And, and, and then that fit naturally into staging fights on the front lawn uh, that would culminate in a big, you know, like a, a breakaway stick put back together and then smashed over the head at the last minute and I'd have ketchup and, and burnt cork <laughs> and I'm, I'm lying on, on, on my back and, and bleeding and cars screeching to a halt and, and then running away and going, <laughs> um, and my father catching me doing that. I, I've told this story recently, but to, so I shouldn't tell it again because probably maybe somebody will see this twice, but <laughs> the, the idea that he gave me a, 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 at 12 or something like for Christmas, a, a makeup kit, and uh, Richard Corson, the, the Bible on stage makeup, st- stage, theater, theater makeup, <clears throat> and uh, makeup for the stage. And I think the title of it. And, and I, that was my Bible for a while. And I, I had my kit and all these things. And, you know, my father said, that's cute what you were doing out there, but that's dangerous. And, and if you want to do those effects, this, these are more effective ways of executing them. And, and so I got this <laughs> I'd already been given all these art supplies when I was much younger in sculpting and, and drawing and painting. So I had the, the skills to be able to do makeup. And I did, uh, I did it very early on in the theater um, on myself. And then you'd get employed immediately to do the makeup for other people that needed to be older or look like each other, whatever it was. And, and uh, so from the beginning of the, uh, my career as an actor on film, I was trying to employ these things. And, you know, I'd get like, like on Sid and Nancy, I, I got the part because I made myself look like, and the director, Alex Cox, was just absolutely shocked when he cast me while he was in London. I was in LA from videotape and 
when I showed up on set to meet him in New York, it was like, oh, you're so clean. <laughs> I thought we had kind of junkie who came up like that. Oh, well. And he was so disappointed. And so I did the makeup. I went back uh, after, after that day. I was going to go to work in, in a couple of days. And I, I went to go meet the, the hair and makeup people. And I'd gone back and I made myself up uh, the way I had been every capillary broken and, and uh, you know, too throttled out and the hair, you know, dirty and, and walked in and said, look, this is what got me the job. You can take it all off. But I just wanted to show it to you because he was so disappointed the other day when I showed up with that. <laughs> and, and these guys had just won the Academy Award and they go, well, we did just win the Academy Award for Christ Stoke. And that's not bloody bad though. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they give me a few little tips and uh, along the way, I, I always love to credit my friend, Billy Corso, William Corso, has won an Academy Award as well. Um, and, and other friends that are, great makeup artists seeing that I had skills and and uh, and uh, some a lot of times they, they, they need a little backup when there's a crunch on to like when the building blows up and everybody's got to be burnt to a crisp and they've got to crisp everybody up <laughs> you can crisp yourself <laughs> get Sanders in the fucking in the, in the trailer get him out here <laughs> See, for years it was like in the makeup trailer everybody's got the the vanity makeup going on to look better and i'm over in the corner like rotting my teeth uh, <laughs> breaking my capillaries and and you know that was people sort of i had a reputation they yeah do your thing that's great we don't have time we don't have time to do that uh, and we're going to make people look pretty here and uh so that, that was part of the sacrificing of vanity it wasn't just to be but also to change the way i look with like looking pretty gnarly in a lot of things. I don't have to do that anymore. I'm just gnarly, uh, gnarly now. No, um, you're not. There's but, no, you're not. Well, I, 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 I can still. Uh, gracefully still beautiful. Grace, gracefully beautiful. Oh, cheers! Thanks, mate. You're but, very welcome. But, <laughs> but, uh, you know the 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 makeup thing. I know you on, on your thing. Mm. You asked something about twenty four and the radiation poisoning. Yeah, uh, yeah. You you did your own makeup for that episode, didn't you? Did on on a, on a million things. I just got credit for it on that one. All oh, right, okay. Damn <laughs> um, son so, of a fucking bitch but, bastard. But that was a cool one. That uh, yeah, the the Monsanto. I hope I got this. Twenty years now. Um, but she let me do my own thing, and and she's the one that saw to it that I got credit for it because she was impressed with it. Um. I had to study the radiation and how to, and you try and, you know, plot the course. You know, they 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 sold me the the series regular at the time. I was I was trying to avoid doing a series regular. I was I was still a movie guy back then. Twenty years ago, there was a little bit more of a, a little snotty thing I had about like this. I liked to being in that in that coterie of of actors that were considered for film roles. And somehow, if you got too much TV taint on you, they just so no TV acting. You you do one TV series, <laughs> um, and you know it either makes you into a huge megastar, or ninety nine percent of the time it makes you sort of less desirable to the movie elite. And now TV is a complete. It's completely turned. Yeah, it's completely turned oh. on its head, isn't it? Well, Twenty Four yeah. was one of those first series to 
sort of try and take TV to that next level. Mm -hmm. Hollywood stars, it's gripping format, new different kind of Defin framing definitely, format. Definitely, definitely, um, definitely. It's, it's what I first sort of, well, apart from Air Force One, what I remember you from, and those yeah. scenes with you uh, towards the end, shall I say, were some of the best of the whole series. Yeah, well, that was what that they were. They were one of the things that me and Paul first bonded actually over because, like, some of the most emotional fucking things in my life was when that friggin' plane was coming down. Like, genuinely, <laughs> genuinely, there was like Twenty Four is that kind of a series that's so real that it, it gets you emotionally invested so much where you believe everything is actually happening in it. And, you know, yeah. when it comes when it comes to terms with, you know, the acting that was in it, you know, the, them scenes between you and Kiefer on the plane and, you know, the, 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 everything to do with the makeup, the fucking, the, the, the scenes, the sets. I remember, I remember walking home when the plane went down and I remember walking for, and we were lived in Carlisle at the time in the north of England. And I, it was a very short kind of journey between Paul's house and my house. I remember taking must take about half an hour and it just emotionally destroyed me. But I was just walking, I was like, oh. fuck it, George is gone. What the fuck? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, what the fuck? I don't know what the fuck I'm gonna do in my life now. You know, you know, it's wild too, because um I was trying to say that they they sold me on the idea, they go, Look, how about this? No, you don't like to commit to a series, but what if you inhale airborne plutonium in the first episode? <laughs> And we give you 24 hours to live. That means you're dead by the end of the season. And I said, that's fucking brilliant. And, and, it's, and, and that way, you know, we can have a redemption story and you can make up for a life misspent. And, and yeah, fuck, yeah, that's awesome. I love that. And, and uh, signed up and, and did all my research on the radiation poisoning and how and when, you know, an ear might start to fall off or lesions. <laughs> fall off. And, um, and, and I tried to plot the whole thing out because you can't, you know, you don't want to have too much scrutiny on that ear falling off if that happened. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that so was so unrealistic. Make that at the very end. I, yeah, and, my, dad's, my dad's ear fell off after Chernobyl. It was so unrealistic. I'll do a lesion on my leg that, you know, we show at some point early on and you'll start to see some crinkly skin. And, <laughs> and you know, and I... At a certain point, there will be lesions on the face, and uh, you know, we're, I'm sort of, but I'm plotting the course, and I go in. Howard Gordon is in the front part of the office, and I go in. I go, so I'm just trying to plot the course on the the makeup thing, and I'm just like, this is episode 13, so do we know where yet exactly when uh, George is going to bite the dust, and uh, and or how, and and so I'm trying to, you know you know, pace this whole makeup thing. Uh, the, the, that would be a Joel question. And so there was like an element of nervousness in his response that threw me because he's not usually, he's just so Howard Gordon. And uh, I go in to Joel's office and he's leaning back in his chair and he goes, he's overheard, he goes, episode 15, but check it out love it. <laughs> 15? I thought I was getting to like 24, 24 hours before this. I'm going to go in two episodes. I got two episodes left. So I got to put all my effects in, in that amount of time. And like, there was a whammy, like, I'm not going to be on the show anymore. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the thing. The bomb is killing us. It, if we keep that bomb for more than two more episodes, we will bomb. And <laughs> so we got to take out two birds, one stone star. There's no better way, but wait. He says, Bob, Gore, you know, Bob Cochran, he wrote this episode. It's the best episode of fucking TV I ever read. You're going to fucking love it. Yeah. And, and I go, okay, I'll take your word for it. And, and 15, I'm going to be fucking 15. 
you're in love with the crew everybody you know i met my wife on the show we were you know like working together we were having a fucking ball working together on that at that stage and and uh you know because we were there was a lot of we did a lot of reworking of dialogue in the first and second season and it was just so great to massage things into place and find the the right way the language the rhythm the tempo everybody the camera operators were so tuned in guy was this big guy that was the the handheld guy and he could read our minds he knew the script inside out but he knew to catch the moment before when to push in and and there were long lenses you know the the, the confluence of you know brian eno you may know fellow countryman oh, yeah. brian eno, talks about um the phenomena of counter to you know western culture's love of of the glory of an individual um there's something beyond genius invariably in all the great works of art and all the great events in human history and that's seniors that there's a scene that there's a group of people that are coming together and they've got a vibe and they've got they've found something together that lifts the whole thing higher than the sum of its parts could ever be or any individual could ever accomplish and and that that just felt like one of those things and it was it was a time it was a it was a bold risk for a tv show to have to watch everything in sequence and to trust that the audience would it was before binge watching before oh, yeah. but it all happened at that same time the zeitgeist of technology and cell phones and and the split screen the use of uh that all of it just kind of came together, the cine cinematic elements of it. And and you had another question about what's more interesting to play one character in a series over a period of time versus playing a different guy. They both have their, obviously they're both strong appeal, but that the strong appeal of one character over a period of time was never more, uh, never felt more exciting to me than it did on 24 when it wasn't just we have to apprehend a bad there's a bad guy is established and we have to apprehend and bring them to justice by the end of the episode that the whole thing was going to continue and add up at the end of an entire season to one day yeah so there was going to be a a a, a focus on minutia that had never been seen on film because of the amount of time that you can take in a real hour of real time. And we didn't go to the bathroom often enough, but we did squeeze that in at a certain point. But we did all get- gonna, All I'm gonna say is, I can't believe that Nina Myers is in your fucking house right now. <laughs> yeah, she's right over there. She's plotting. I'm oh, sure. I, can't believe, I can't believe Nina Myers is in your fucking house because she, she just like a uh, genuine, like it, it was like, oh. I don't know. It, it was like the first the first the first shock was 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 the plane going down and the threat of nuclear destruction and and then and then Nina Myers happened and it was just oh, and those two shocks were never felt more more palpably than by the two of us the, the episode or two before when we found oh, yeah. out. Oh yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. But that's uh, you're right. You're right. And 24 was the first you imagine if 24 was around nowadays, it was it was the start. Like 24 was the start of binge watching because that's exactly what me and Paul did at University of 24. I'd never seen 24 and Paul introduced me to it. 
and it was the first it was the first tv show that i just binged completely and it was like every every four hours was just like it was an emotional fucking roller coaster and you were trying to understand what was going on and you were trying to invest emotionally as you say in in the character uh you know and you're trying to imagine <laughs> you know this stuff actually happening within that that time frame um but my yeah but that you have to look at yourself you have to look at yourself in in, in the terms of this is this is probably your career as well because you've you've touched so many facets of of society and you've touched so many uh tv shows and and movies and i know you kind of jest and say yeah i'm the guy that dies and stuff like that there but you're part of the glue that kind of puts all that stuff together like you are the glue that that has put so many tv shows in there and i know some people look at tv shows like or maybe not even understand what tv shows like Tagney and lacy and falcon's crest and the A team, and you know, uh, you know, but these these things are. I had to bring part, those up, didn't you? <laughs> listen, I don't give a fuck. But these are part. These are part of of my life. These are parts of fucking hundreds of thousands of people's lives. And I said it earlier on, my first introduction to yourself was V, and I remember growing up in Oma in County Tyrone, and I knew Xander Berkeley's name. Do you know what I mean? And that's how yeah, much. That's, that's cool. how much. That's how much you kind of touched my life like i watched v and then sledgehammer was on afterwards and my like i remember that like i said to my brother like i'm talking to xander berkeley tonight run and he was like fucking v and sledgehammer corn and i was like yeah v and fucking sledgehammer and you know you we made jest and stuff and death but that that is the characters that you create that is everything that is you as an actor and everything that is you as a human being and for me i can't fucking wait to see what you direct like genuinely, I Absolutely. can't. I can't wait to see what comes out of your mind. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. Um, you know, this the, the things I'll mention that I have coming out uh, to keep people distracted in the meantime. Um, uh, you know, while we're trying to bring tax incentives to the state of Maine for film, and and we're preparing these film locations and uh, teaming up with. I just teamed up with uh, colleagues from that are now uh, in the state of Maine as well that uh, that run Fifen Pictures, P-H-I-P-H-E-N. And there was a co-production with Altitude Film over there in the UK. Great fella, Andy Mason over there on your side. Um, joined forces with uh, Molly Connors and, and Rich Berkey and the people of Fifen Pictures. And uh, we, we just did, I, I did my fifth or sixth Nicolas Cage movie. He was in it, he starred in it. I'm always in his movies. Uh, we, we, were we were gonna ask you about that as well, yeah. Yeah, that's Butcher's Crossing based on a novel written in 1960. It's pretty great about the, the final decimation of, of the buffalo in, in America and the, the mad characters that were sort of lured unwittingly into that uh, near extinction um, for the wild ride. You know, it's like whalers or gold miners, these crazy things that are probably propelled by governments or corporations to make money um, and or for more diabolical reasons to uh, to help uh, marginalize or, or you know, it, do away with the Native American population at the time because they were so dependent on the buffalo. But to get to tell a story like that and, um, and, and to get to play the one-armed guy that drives the mule team and then the cook and he's crazy. <laughs> And, uh, is that, is that and the beard? Is, is this, is this oh, the beard? Yeah. Is this for the beard? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Mad. <laughs> and, 
and and to an end, I got to really fucking do the makeup because the guy is completely like a homeless person. He's like a crazy, crazy guy that they bring along because of uh, Nicholas Cage and Nick and I both sort of developed the assumption that I was like his his mad cousin that he has to look after and and, <laughs> and that he owes owes it to. And I, I'm a decent cook and I can and I can drive a mule team with one hand. That's the kind of, thing of course you can. Novelist, of course, of course you can. Well, that's seems not though, easy. I'll just tell you that it's not easy to do that. <laughs> seems um, though this is the Movie Chef podcast. What what do you cook then? What's your what's what's Christmas Day looking like in the the Berkeley Clark household? I'm going to quickly say the other movies though. Heightened uh, is one yeah, yeah. Suit right here in Maine. Heightened Butcher's Crossing. I did one. Uh, that I'm going to wait because that's about to be announced, um, and, I, and I'll wait just in case. But it's by a fellow countryman. It was shot in in the UK, in Hong Kong, and America, all on on Zoom. Um, it's going to be kind of interesting. Okay. Well, you know what? I'll say the name of it. Lockdown and and Bees on. Yeah, it's, it is on. It is on there. It is on there. It is on there. I was checking up earlier on. I seen I seen some of the lockdown stuff. Uh, yeah, it is. It's so, been announced. We did that, and then uh, um, oh, I, I, and I also uh, played uh, Charles uh, George Schultz, Charles Schultz, is somebody else. George Schultz in, in the the biopic about Ronald Reagan that uh, Dennis Quaid stars in, and it's going to be in theaters too. And so we'll see which ones of these come out and make their way out into the world. But <clears throat> it's fun to be living in a place that I love more than any place, Maine, and uh, and still be able to do the thing I love to do, which is make films. And um, and I'm not so much committing to big TV series anymore because I, I don't want to miss, I didn't wait this long to have children and miss the show. So uh, the, the daughters of, of George Mason and Nina Myers are downstairs <laughs> now. They're listen, they're down Party there and, and, they, and they, need, they need somebody to go down there to put some makeup on them because yeah. you know, they're drinking all your beer. We've already established they're drinking all your beer. So they need somebody to go down yeah. there and they need, yeah. need somebody to they put makeup on. They used to let them. me make them up as, you know, like when the first time my, my, my 15 year old now, when she was like two something, I had her down the garage and I was, I've discovered an old makeup kit and I quickly made myself into a, a, a terrifying clown. And she goes, I won't be Kelly Clown. I won't be Kelly Clown. <laughs> I can make her up. Brilliant. <laughs> Um, and she, for years, she was a good sport and let me make her into monsters as a child. And I have some good pictures to put out there in the world. They have to get her approval now at a certain point, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Supermodel now. So, you know, she's like trying to hide her shady monster past. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's close close to home. They're, they're making them up because it's still something I love to do. We just had the Halloween and I was away making myself up on set oh, um yeah but so um i'm sorry you were gonna you were gonna say i'm just saying what's uh you, you like to cook then is it normally you in the kitchen is it sarah do you do you no, order I, in I, I, i'm the cook and i gotta get down there and start doing that now yeah yeah we've had you far too long thank and, you we've had you far too long i i, I would expect this to be half an hour we were, it's like we sat back and had a drink together so it was fun no um, it's fantastic time flies when you're having fun Well, there we go. I hope you enjoyed that. Like you say, it's been a long time coming. He's an absolute great guy. Um, genuine. I had so much fun uh, doing just, that. Just, just genuine. You know, you can't, yeah. you cannot, you, you can hear everything in somebody's voice. 
when they're just a fucking genuine nice guy and you know for him to take the time out of his day you know to to talk to us it you know means the world to us um and unbelievable guy unbelievable but like I say, get uh, get your tickets bought for Butcher's Crossing when it comes out. Um, it's filmed with Nicolas Cage. Get watching uh, everything he's done. Go and watch Mentalist again. Go and watch 24. Under the Red John! Red John! Red John! Mentalist, yeah. Um, go and watch uh, The Zombie Thing, Walking Dead. Uh, that, that, that wee tiny TV show that he does, yeah. And if you're in Maine, make sure you go to his, uh, his inn because it sounds like a, a wonderful little place. Um, so, yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. Hope you stay safe. Hope you stay well and full and quaff two meters, wine. Two metres away from each other. Two metres away. Quaff wine until you can quaff no more and then get your ends away. Fuck Boris Johnson. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. And thanks again, Xander. Thank you, Xander. Merry Christmas, big lad. Let me on